Good morning, Harvest Church. I'm excited to be diving into our new sermon series, The Seriousness of Sin. Today's sermon is entitled, The Standard. As we prepare as a church to go through these series, I don't pretend to think for a second that we're all coming in with with a religious past, religious experiences, some for the better and some for the worse. Maybe our pasts when the idea of of sin was being discussed, maybe it was something used to define you and to be used and wielded against you. Or or maybe as dangerous of a narrative as that is, it's modern day culture where we're trying to dismiss the concept of sin, where we're not taking it serious, where we're not killing it in our lives. And preparing for the sermon, it's arguably probably one of the sermons I've had to wrestle with the most because the Lord continued just to show me aspects of my life where I'm missing the mark. But the beauty of the Lord is when he shows us these areas, it is grace because he is coming behind us, restoring us, reconciling us and growing us. And the truth is this, if we do not enter this sermon series with humility, we're gonna miss the point. We're not going to take sin serious. We'll belittle it. We'll excuse it. We won't call it what it is. But with humility, we will lean into the work of the Lord, and it will be powerful and transformative. Today, I'm preaching on the holiness of God in about 25 minutes. I literally cannot do what what I'm tasked to do today. I would rather take my unskilled hands and try to figure out how to build a house because I could have all the days with the greatest poetic language and I could never do this subject the justice it is due. I need to start in prayer. Harvest Church, we must stop and humble ourselves in prayer. God, today as we talk, as we converse, Holy Spirit, let us see the beauty of your word. Let us see the power of your word. And let your word be a mirror that shows us things for what they truly are. Meet us, give us wisdom, and empower us to do a work that apart from your spirit we could never do, but with just your presence, everything changes, Father. Be with us in Christ's name, amen. So we're gonna be starting today in Isaiah chapter six. This is a a very famous chapter where Isaiah encounters the Lord. And and so we're going to be diving into the text, and we're going to be camping in the first eight verses. I'm going to read all eight, and then we're going to dissect one by one by one what is going on here. Again, it's Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, midst of an uncle- in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Let's start with verse 1, Harvest Church. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So this, this is important imagery. This robe and this throne, it's showing that God has deemed to reveal himself to Isaiah through the kingliness of his character. L look at this throne. It's, it's high and lifted up. It, this is demonstrating that, that God himself, he is exalted, he is lifted up. The, the language of the train of his robes fill the temple. It's alluding to the fact that his majesty is present over everything. And this temple, it's not just merely a building. The temple is used and designed to symbolize this is where the spirit of the Lord is. Verse 2 continues, And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. N Notice the position of the seraphim. They are above him. This positioning is actually used to demonstrate that the seraphim are just servants waiting to be directed by the Lord. These angels, or specifically these seraphim, you've got to understand this, this type of angel, that name translates burning ones. These burning ones are around the throne. And look how they hold their bodies. With two, they cover their feet. With two, they fly. And with two, they cover their eyes. Isn't that fascinating? Even in this intense moment, these burning ones, they're not even directly looking at the Lord himself in all of his holiness. Even these angelic beings find a need to cover their face in the presence of the Lord, to shield themselves between themselves and the fullness of the glory of the Lord. And I love the seraphim song. They play one tune and one anthem only. His holiness. You see, when experiencing or being in the presence of holiness, notice how everything centers around the holiness itself. There's not really a lot of side discussions going on. And what is their song? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Their whole, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Do you know this holy, holy, holy is the Lord? This is the only time in the Old Testament where something is repeated three times. The repetition isn't random. It's intentional and critical. What it's trying to say when it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, is it's, it's trying to say that the word being used to describe him in and of itself, it's not enough. It's not accurate enough. Therefore, the highest word has to be used Holiness, but it almost has to be dramatized a little bit, going, holy, 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 why? The holy, it's, one holy is just not enough. And it is alluding to how different the Lord is from anything else. And you're probably sitting there like, holiness, holiness, what is this holiness? It's alluding to the Lord is set apart. The defining characteristic of the Lord isn't love. It isn't patience. 
Uh, it isn't merely just forgiveness. The greatest defining characteristic of the Lord is his holiness, how he is set apart. And so really, here in this moment, it's, it's going, the Lord isn't just set apart. The, he is, he's set apart in his set-apartness. Wait, no, that's only two. And so now in this time, he's, he, he's alluding to his set-apartness three times. And it, it's really alluding to the fact of this. His holiness is unapproachable, and it's unlike anything. Nothing plays in the arena of holiness other than the Lord. And so he's going, you're not just set apart. The set-apartness is set-apart. And not just that, but you're, the set-apartness of the set-apartness is set-apartness. You were unlike anything else. Verse 4 continues. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Look at what happens at the sound of this voice. There's a shaking. There's a tremoring that happens as a byproduct of the Lord. As the foundations shake, as the threshold shakes, so does Isaiah. The only reaction Isaiah has as a result of this encounter is to say this, woe is me. I am unclean and so are all of those that I dwell with. Isn't it fascinating that Isaiah comes to his greatest self-identity and his greatest awareness only when he's gazing upon the Lord. Culture is so different here. Look deep in yourself and find you. Look to what you have. Look to others' approval of you. That's who you are. The only way a Christian will ever have a true sense of self-identity is when we are gazing upon the Lord. Because in that moment is a sweet interaction of who he is and who we're not. Verse six picks up. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. In, in this moment, when Isaiah fully learns who he is, he is an unclean being in an unclean culture. And in this moment where he comes to a full realization of this, how sweet is the Lord that he goes into action. The seraphim, this burning angel, under the direction of the holy, 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 goes and he grabs a coal from the altar. It's fascinating that this burning one, this burning angel, he's not even just handling the coal lightly from the altar. Rather, he's even separating himself from it as he picks it up. This coal, it's alive and it's active and it's intense. It's full of heat and it has an immense purpose. Understand, when you hear this coal, it's used to symbolize certain themes of God's atonement and propitiation, the cost of our sin, the payment of our sin, 
It's used to symbolize forgiveness, cleansing, and reconciliation between that which is clean and reconciliation to that which is unclean. This coal is about to do something in Isaiah that Isaiah himself could never do. This coal is about to do something in Isaiah that this burning angel, this seraphim, cannot do on his own. And here now, the angel, he takes this coal and he presses it up to Isaiah's mouth. Isn't it fascinating how Isaiah goes, I am a man of unclean lips. Where did the Lord design the coal to touch? Isaiah says, my mouth is unclean. And the Lord touches him with the coal on his mouth. And suddenly, because of the coal, because of God's design and purpose, that which is unclean is now declared clean. The angel says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Notice how the Lord doesn't try to make Isaiah feel better. He, you know, it wasn't like Isaiah was like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the Lord was like, ah, don't worry about it. It's all good, you tried really hard. No, no, no. When Isaiah is going, woe is me, I am unclean, the Lord is going, yup. Isaiah is completely guilty. He knows it, the Lord knows it. And the, guilty, the, guilt, the guiltiness of Isaiah cannot be in the presence of the Lord. It cannot be in the presence of that which is set apart, set apart, set apart. And God acknowledges that Isaiah has to be cast far off because of his guilt. Yet, in a holy, holy, holy love, in a set apart, set apart, set apart love, God moves towards him from an identity of unclean to clean so that Isaiah can be reconciled to him. Your sin is atoned for. This is, this is a banner. It's a declaration sung over Isaiah. It, it's paid for. It's taken care of. It, it's enough. This payment has been made. The, the, your guilt that once covered you has now been removed, and there's a new covering over Isaiah. And it's a holy covering. It's a perfect and sufficient covering. And watch verse 8 as it continues. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Look at the power of what happens when Isaiah encounters the Lord. At the beginning, he's unclean. He sees the Lord far off in a vision. And yet because of a work of what the Lord has done, he is now clean. The guy who was once a second ago silenced because of his sin, disqualified because of his sin, he now gets to draw close enough to the Lord where the prophet that was once silent is now conversing with the Lord. He goes from being shut up to speaking up only because of a work of the Lord. There was not one ounce of Isaiah's uncleanliness that the Lord overlooked, dismissed, or forgot about. He addressed it perfectly and sufficiently. If this is true of Isaiah, what does this mean for us here today? The Lord took Isaiah's sin seriously. Harvest Muskoka 
he takes our sin just as seriously. As individuals, as followers of Christ, it is only when we take our sin seriously, as the Lord does, wherever, it's only then we will ever experience the power and presence of the Lord in our life. You gotta understand something. The standard, it's been set. Holiness, holiness, holiness. And as the standard has been set, the standard has never fluctuated. The bar is as high today as it was in Isaiah's time. Look at what happens when the Lord encounters things that are sinful. Watch what happens. When Satan sins and he tries to overthrow God, because of the Lord's holiness, 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 he's immediately cast out from the presence of the Lord. In Genesis, when sin entered in the third chapter in the account, Adam and Eve are immediately removed. Isaiah meets the Lord, and what does he say? Woe is me, I am unclean. When Moses in the book of Exodus encounters God at the burning bush, the Lord's language with Moses goes, do not come close, take your shoes off. Because we do not want to draw close to the Lord unless we have a specific covering because his presence is too intense for us to handle. In 1 Samuel, there's this false god named Dagon and the Lord humiliates the, the people who are worshiping Dagon and he disrespects Dagon himself. He makes Dagon fall face first before the Ark of the Covenant. In Luke Mary encounters Christ and she lowers herself to watch the feet of Jesus. In Revelation, in the presence of the throne room, in the fullness of the glory of God, what's happening? The angels are constantly crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And as they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, these 24 elders, they take their crowns and they give it to the Lord. And in these moments, these elders are going before God in his glory and going, worthy are you and you alone to receive glory and honor and praise. Make no mistake, church, there is always a dramatic response when someone encounters the Lord truly. What does this mean for us today? If anything, you pause right now and, and you're like, I can't do it. There's, I can't be holy, holy, holy. Matt, you don't know my past. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things that have been done to me. There's good news. The standard has been set. The standard has never fluctuated. But the standard has a name. It's Jesus Christ. Isaiah sees the seriousness of his sin. And in that moment, God in his holiness makes a plan to bring Isaiah close. And he kissed the coal that was given to him. If you're feeling defeated and discouraged, ask yourself this. Have you ever kissed the coal of Christ in your life? Have you ever gone to a place of true identity? And I'm not talking about your LinkedIn account. 
Nobody in LinkedIn needs Jesus. I'm telling you, everybody only has strengths and nobody has weaknesses. Everyone's a proficient communicator. And the answer is, let me ask your spouse. She'll tell me that you're not. But have you ever come to not our LinkedIn identity or what we want to be? Have you ever seen the Lord in such beauty that it comes to a place of true identity? I am a sinner. There is no excuse. And my sin excludes me from the presence of the Lord and the power of the Lord in my life. And I'm not just talking about a point of salvation. When you put a stake in the ground, you gave your life to Christ. Maybe you're already a believer. When was the last time you had that true identity check? If you have not tasted or kissed the coal of Christ, know the Lord as he made a provision for Isaiah. He makes a provision for you today to go from unclean to clean. Matt, you can't say that. I can never be clean because of what I have done. This cannot be true of me. I love you. Get over yourself. The power of this transference from unclean to clean, it doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your past. It doesn't come from your strengths. It doesn't come from your accolades. It comes from the one who is set apart, set apart, set apart, making a plan and a way for you. And his plan and his covering and his provision, it is always sufficient and it is always enough. Isaiah was declared clean because of God's provision. He was clean because of the worth and the power of God's provision. Today, what makes us clean is because we have been given Christ. It's called the imputation of righteousness. Christ takes his purity, his perfection, his holiness, and he willingly, according to Hebrews, humbly lowers himself lower than the angels. So he tastes our death for us. And as he eats our death that we rightly deserve, he gives us his perfection, his righteousness, and his holiness. And now there is a new banner over us. And now the master, the banner is no longer our sin, our foolishness, our mistakes. It is now the perfected work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. A great covering has been placed upon us. Woe to us who don't take joy in it. Woe to us who, who find comfort or meaning under a different covering. I have a question for you, Harvest Muskoka. Have you kissed the coal of Christ in your life? Are you covered by him? If you don't know Christ is your savior, I love you enough to say this. Your sin is still your master and you are in bondage and you will not know the presence, the glory, and the joy of the Lord in your life. Your first step is bending of a knee. The second question is this. If you know Christ, have you lost the awe and the joy of the covering that Jesus the, the, the payment, the banner. Have you lost the joy and awe of it in your life and you've just become numb to it? Is there, is there unrepentant sin in your life that you're just indulging in, in your home, 
in your marriage, in your parenting, in your private life that no one else knows about, if you're harboring it, the greatest consequence of it is we do not get to experience the presence of the Lord in our life because we grieve him out. And not only can we just vertically sin against God, we can very easily have a ton of horizontal sin against other people. If you have little kids in the room right now, really suggest you put on Harvest Kids TV. What I'm about to say to you isn't meant to shock you. It's to awaken you. What I'm about to mention aren't just random things. I believe these are things that could be said of us in this congregation. If we don't cry the, the, the anthem, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, we'll transfer the anthem to holy, holy, holy is me. And there is a breeding ground for sin. Husbands, these aren't just random ideas I'm coming up with. You ready? When you go holy, holy, holy is me, not only will you not be a Christ to your wife, what you're gonna to try to make her is a domesticated maid with sexual benefits because you're an insecure boy with a large pickup truck. And maybe that put a tingle down your spine while you're sitting on the couch in your Carhartt hoodie. I love you enough to say you need to shift the anthem and repent to your God and repent to your bride. Wives, when you switch off holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and, and now you go holy, holy, holy is me, you strangle your husband and you try to conform him into the image of what you want him to be instead of him growing into the image of Christ. And using the Chinese water torture method described in Proverbs, drip, 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 and you vex him. And every time you look for him, you're wondering why, like what Proverbs says, why are you always on a corner of a roof? Maybe you're just putting your dreams and, and your failed dreams in your life and you're just projecting them onto your kids and giving them performance complexes. Because you've gone, holy, holy, holy is me and my insecurities and I need to make sure that I am met. The first thing you need to do isn't even repent to your child. It isn't even to repent to your spouse. It's to go before the one who is holy, holy, holy and confess and repent before him. Because if we're not a church that has the humble practice of constant repentance in our life, then the Lord will remove his spirit and now we're just a bunch of people playing church and it's the most miserable building I'll ever be a part of. Maybe you heard those examples of what we can do to our kids or our spouses. And you're like, Matt, that language was disgusting. Are you ready? The unfiltered, unsugar-coated language of your sin is disgusting. And we need to stop putting a pretty filter over it. And we need to hear it the way the Lord sees it. Because unless we see it the way the Lord sees it, we're going to excuse it, we're going to belittle it, we're going to justify it, and we're not going to own it. But the moment we see that which is set apart, showing us how we are unclean, and we go to that God in repentance, he restores us to him, he reconciles us to him. Isn't it fascinating that you can have the greatest amount of chaos when the anthem is holy, holy, holy is me, 
And yet in this throne room, when they're going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, there's the greatest stillness, peace, and power. What's the mantra over your marriage? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord? What's the mantra over your home? Holy, holy is the Lord? What's your mantra over your parenting? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord? Sometimes we need to stop and do a worship check. As a church, we must see the seriousness of sin. In the weeks to come, we're going to hear how through Jonah, our boat of disobedience is always going to be present and how self-righteousness destroys the mission God has sent us on. We're going to hear how Elijah, the Lord doesn't share himself with people. He literally goes, is Baal God or is God God? Just choose one condition, don't limp. We're going to hear in Ezekiel how the Lord gives a vision to Ezekiel and he sees into the temple. And what he sees is a bunch of religious people doing a bunch of religious things, but their hearts are so far off that the Lord literally removes his spirit from the temple because they grieve him because of their sin. We're going to hear in Amos that that in Amos, the Lord literally goes, your worship is detestable to me. I don't want to hear it. Why are we going to take... Why are we going to take sin so serious? Because the Lord does. In this series, we're going to see why the Lord takes sin seriously. Therefore, how we must take sin seriously so that we can draw closer and more intimate to the one who is holy, holy, holy through the means that he has given us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, typically, this is where we close in prayer and and we do a a worship song, but if we're honest, we're pausing right here on a sober note. And sometimes sober moments are extremely powerful because it gives us an ability to see things from a different angle. So instead of going to a worship song, on the screen are going to be a couple questions. Whether you're alone in your room, maybe you're sitting with your spouse, your, your whole family's present. Go over these questions as a great place to start as we enter this series. Question one, take responsibility for yourself. Is there any sin that is coming to mind in this moment in your life that you need to confess to the Lord and repent of? Find comfort in 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins to him. After that question, after an opportunity maybe to converse with your family, only after going to the Lord, here's the next question. Is there any sin that is coming to mind in this moment that you need to go to somebody else in your life and ask for forgiveness for? Maybe that's your spouse because of the way that you've treated them for so long. Maybe it's your kids because of how you've treated them. Maybe it's a distant relative. The Lord takes interpersonal sin very seriously, so much so in Matthew 5, He literally says, stop and leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. Until then, don't do anything. And then finally this. Spend some time before the throne. Individually, as a house, in your marriage, with your kids. Spend time before the Lord in humility and just ask him. This is just a David's prayer out of Psalm 139. And just posture yourself in humility before the Lord. God, is there anything in me in my marriage, in my parenting, in my life? Is there anything in me that is hindering my experience of you and you drawing close? Show me, God. 
And that when you move past that point, now dedicate the next few weeks to the Lord to do a powerful work in your life that would put you on his path for you in life. Psalm 25 says, show me your ways, Lord. All your paths are paths of peace and righteousness. And spend some time worshiping the one who is set apart. It's the only response that happens in the Bible for those who are his and for those who are truly experiencing him. Maybe you don't know uh, just how to spend that time with him. Or maybe you're like, I I love just to have worship kind of played over me. We've created a Spotify playlist. Hit play and just have a half an hour before the Lord. Whereas as the angels and as the elders are going, holy, 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 only you are worthy of honor and glory and praise. We would, as a church, join in the same anthem that is already being sung in the heavenlies. Church, apart from humility, we will not make it through this series. Apart from humility saying, Lord, show me how you see it. We're never gonna take this series seriousness enough. But the beauty is when we call upon the Lord, because he has made the payment, he has given the atonement, he has given us Christ, and as we're covered under the banner of Christ's perfection and holiness, now we can kill our sin so that we can have more of him. Church, will you pray with me? The only fitting prayer in this moment, God, is holy, holy, holy is you. I thank you that your love um, was so set apart that it made a plan for Isaiah that didn't even make sense. And you made him from being unclean to clean. And thank you that you have done that in our lives. And Lord, I pray, give us eyes and ears to see and to hear how you see sin so that we can kill it in our lives, so that we can have more and more and more of the one who is truly holy, holy, holy. In Christ's name, amen.